0: Welcome to the West Side Gathering Podcast. We appreciate you making time to learn and grow with us. Here you will find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, have a listen. I'm going to date
1: myself a little bit as I start off with this story or maybe you're going to think I'm quirky. How many people know about this television series called The West Wing? Anybody hear about it from like 1990? Look, only like four people in the place. This is really horrible. This, is a, this was a TV series that lasted for about eight years and um, I've, been, I've been re-watching it, get this, on DVD. Well, you can't find it anywhere anyway, so maybe you can, but I don't know where. So I've been re-watching it on DVD, and it's a series that follows a Democratic presidency and uh, the presidential staff. And um, here, this, this is a really interesting moment that I came across recently. The girl on the left, her name is Ainsley, and the guy on the right, his name is Sam. Sam works for the White House. Ainsley is a Republican lawyer or kind of advocate, and in this interview, she takes Sam to school, like she destroys him in this public interview as he's trying to talk about their policies, and she just kind of like undermines him completely with all of her data and throws him off. Well, they're freaking out in the White House because Sam just was embarrassed in front of the nation on TV, and what does the president do? The president offers her a job. The president offers this this woman a job, and everyone is confused. Everyone is so mad, but the president is smart. He's like, you know what? We need someone in our staff that thinks differently than us, that has some fresh insight that's going to help our team. And so she gets put in the council's office in this really dungy basement office. It's kind of horrible, actually. And her boss, who's the head lawyer of the council office of the, the White House, comes in to see her, and he's so skeptical. And he's having this conversation with her and he just like literally um, says, I don't trust you. I don't think you're here for the right reasons. And I don't even understand why you're here. This doesn't make any sense. And she simply responds to him, I'm here to serve. I'm just, I'm here to serve the presidency. I'm here to serve the nation. And uh, he's in disbelief. He starts to walk out of the office and she says these words to him. She says, hey, I checked out your profile. Weren't you a lawyer in Chicago? Didn't you work for like top corporations in the nation? Didn't you make a seven-figure salary? And she says kind of gently to him, I think you're here to serve too. I don't think you're here just for no reason. And it was just this, this really interesting moment have you, ever had, have you ever made a decision like that in your life where you have all this stuff available to you or going on to you, whether it's, it's a network of friends, whether it's a platform that you're very used to, political or otherwise, whether it's a business or a steady income, but you make a decision possibly for something greater, or the greater good, or someone else's good. And maybe you know a little bit about what that feels like. Maybe you've, when you entered a relationship with someone and you realized, oh, I gotta, if I really want this relationship to work, there's other things in my life I might have to right-size and let go of. Or if if you're married and you recognize that, well, if we're gonna make this marriage a marriage of unity, of oneness, well, there's stuff uh, that I would, you know, maybe like or like to do or like to spend my money on, but now we're building this life together, so we put some of our interests aside. Maybe it's for a a cause, like something you really believe in that you really invest in, and you recognize, I'm going to lean into this cause, but I'm going to have to sacrifice these other things. And I wonder what we can call this. Like, what do we call this? How do we describe this thing that I'm trying to describe that, you know, I caught wind of in this one episode but just made me think about today? And I think it's this. I think it's this idea of the ability to disassociate ourselves from our own personal interests for something else that we either feel called to or compelled to. Just think about that. That's probably, in a nutshell, how I can describe what goes on when we make these decisions. That we begin, we disassociate ourselves on purpose from our own personal interests for something else that we're either called to or compelled to. We recognize it's bigger, greater, better, more important. And I I wonder if we've ever kind of um, understood that following Jesus can be a little bit like that. That becoming into a relationship with Christ, following Christ, where the Scripture says when you confess Jesus as Lord, leader, ultimate authority, that following Jesus is a little bit like that, disassociating ourselves from some of our personal interests. And this fits into this short series we're doing over Lent as we lead up to Good Friday and Easter. It's a series we're just calling Hard Asks, these Hard Asks of Jesus. And one of the core hard asks of Jesus we looked at last week, we actually read it again in worship today from Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 38, and specifically in verse 34 and 35, we read that last week. And, and one of the beautiful things that we were reminded of in Mark 8 as we read that is not just the hard ask of Jesus that he invites us to something like losing our life so we can gain it, but we recognize that Jesus has gone before us. He's actually already gone before us stepping towards the cross, losing his life, moving to and through the cross to resurrection. He committed to sacrificing himself before he ever invites us to be sacrificial. And as we're in this season of Lent and we're moving towards these themes of the cross, especially around Good Friday, we, wanna, we, we often want to, you know, give something of ourselves not to get something from God, but to make room or space for God to birth something new in us. And I just want us to consider that Jesus already gave himself up for us. He already gave himself to make that possible. We talked about that last week, so go and listen to it. If you weren't here, go and listen to the podcast and, and, uh, or watch it online and you can find that there. But today I want to kind of focus on the, the actual hard ask. And, and it's, it's in I'm going to read it from Matthew's version. It's very similar to, to Mark's but since we read Mark in the Scriptures today, and we'll, we'll read it from Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, if you've got your Bibles, verse 24 to 28, sounds very similar to Mark, couple of differences, but they're basically telling us the same moment, the same teaching of Jesus. So Mark 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. God, as we just re-engage these words from Jesus, often seen as difficult words, a difficult invitation, God, we just pause and invite you to speak so deeply into our hearts. We know that there is life on the other side of this, But in our own humanness, God, we we might wrestle with hearing such strong words as an invitation from Christ. So we just welcome uh, your work, your words, your, your voice in our life right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here, Matthew also tells us what Jesus said, teaching his disciples, letting them earlier know that he would go and have to suffer. But then Jesus invites us here, and we find it in those verses, verse 24 and 25. Whoever wants to be my disciple... The version we read last week in Mark was, whoever wants to come after me, right? Come be with me. Come follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves or deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. It's interesting. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, we, we know as we celebrate Good Friday, coming up to Good Friday and Easter, we know that Jesus has already done what needed to be done to rescue us or save us and to restore the world. There's nothing we can possibly do to save ourselves. Yet if we want to follow Jesus, Jesus says if someone wants to be my disciple, one who would learn under Jesus, follow under Christ, uh, live the way that he's calling us to, then he's, he's inviting us to do something. And here are these really strong words. I don't know about you, but I find them strong. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, there's a promise in the invitation afterwards that those who are willing to lose their life for His sake or for Him, they will actually gain it. In other words, those who lose will gain. Those who die to themselves and to sin will discover life in Christ. As Jesus, who went to the cross and was buried, was resurrected. But there's still this paradox It's so counterintuitive to like, be invited to lose something, to gain it, be invited to give up, to gain. And I want to just kind of walk through it slowly. This first little word that is a, the shortest word in there, but really like packs a punch, deny yourself, deny something. To deny something is to ignore it, is to, is to let it go, is to almost, in the most extreme sense, to deny something is to live as, as though it doesn't exist, right? Is to live as though it doesn't exist. To live in such a way that if that thing or person or possession is not available to you anymore, or is not necessary for your life, or maybe ultimately necessary for your life, or you can say, "I'm going to deny this." In a more negative way, we can say, I, "You know, if I say I deny that this stage exists, and I just walk off and deny that gravity exists, I'm going to fall to the ground and I'm going to hurt myself. It's only 30 inches; it's not so bad. But if it was like 300 inches." Uh, and I deny that gravity exists, well, that's, that's a negative thing. Um, if, if someone denies someone else their rights, their value as a human being, that's a negative way of denial. If someone denies that they're sick and then doesn't seek help, that's not a great picture of denial, but it's a, it's, it's a use of it. Someone can deny help when they could actually use it. If I need help and I'm just saying, I don't need it, I don't need it, I don't need it. Well, I'm never gonna get it from anybody. So there's denial in those ways. But then there's denial for the sake of a greater good or denial for the sake of a greater goal. We can deny an appetite for something better. If I know I'm going to a really amazing food-filled wedding at night, I'm going to deny some stuff on Friday and Saturday morning and evening. My wife says, just eat properly and don't worry about it. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to enjoy. So I'm going to deny the appetite now so I can enjoy later. There's a denial of an appetite, and it's not just for food, but maybe it's an appetite that's unhealthy for me, and not just a food appetite, other appetites. A denial of an appetite, a denial of a desire, maybe a denial of an opportunity that For someone else, it seems like a great opportunity, but for you, you're like, no, no, this opportunity is actually going to detour me away from this. I'm going to deny this opportunity. Or sometimes it's denying a luxury because you know that by taking on that luxury or living with that luxury or welcoming that luxury from maybe the source of where it's coming from could really be detrimental to you. So you deny that luxury. Jesus says, deny yourself. Obviously, he doesn't mean bring harm to yourself intentionally. But he's, I think, means something like this. It's something to do with how the world paints a picture of a meaningful or successful life that most of us have bought into. The yourself part is kind of like, I I understand this is how the world works. This is how the world paints a picture of a meaningful and purposeful and, and, and good life. And I've bought into that. And I've accepted that as fact or normal. And so, to deny myself is to deny the acceptance of this way the world works, to deny the acceptance of these, of, of these worldviews, and then to see another way that is possible. Or to put it in another word, it's to stop depending on the way the world wins, on the way the world loses, on the way the world works, because I want to live a different way. So, I deny that, and in a sense, I'm denying myself because... This is how I've been brought up. This is how I understand how things work. This is the water I swim in. I don't know anything else. So, But when I come to recognize that, I begin to deny myself or the way the world wins and loses and works. We read the scripture of Jesus' moving into the desert, or no, we prayed it, about Jesus moving into the wilderness. And it's found in Matthew 3 and other parts of the Gospels. You can read it yourself. Jesus is confronted... Uh, personally by the Spirit leading him into the desert after his baptism before he starts his public ministry. Jesus is like almost a nobody for 30 years, is baptized, is catapulted into this public ministry, but before that, he goes to the desert for 40 days, 40 nights and fasts. And Jesus' worldview is really tested Now, I know Jesus is God. We understand that. He has a self-awareness of this 100%. But Jesus grew up in the same uh, Jewish world, in the same Roman Empire-influenced world, in the same, you know, maybe cutthroat world that all of his other friends and colleagues have as well for 30 years. So he understands the way the world works. And I think in some way the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to test the way the world works. Is Jesus going to grab a hold of that, or is he going to deny it? And as you read through the three temptations of Satan to Jesus, Satan is basically tempting him with the big idea of appetite, with the big idea of affirmation, with the big idea of ambition. And Jesus has to choose, am I going to embrace, accept the way the world wins and loses, or am I going to deny that? And in his time of 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Jesus denies that. I put it like this on the screen. Jesus denies the way the world works because he trusts the way God works. Jesus denies the way the world works because he trusts the way God works. And I'd so encourage you to read that text this week and just kind of immerse yourself in that text in Matthew 3. And I think it's at baptism in the wilderness where Jesus Actually takes his first turn towards the cross. In his baptism and in the wilderness, I think is where Jesus takes his first turn towards I'm walking to the cross. Because the cross is God's way of rescuing the world. The cross is God's way of restoring the world. The cross is God's way of seeing life actually birth from underneath the surface. And so Jesus says, deny yourself, and then he says, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, I get this, right? For you and me, we sometimes say this, you know, if, if, if I'm really being a bother to Bobby over here, I hope I never bothered you, Bobby, but if I ever am, Bobby might say, oh, Dave just bugs the heck out of me, but you know what? It's my cross to bear. <laughs> like, Dave Manifold's my cross to bear, and I'm just gonna bear it. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're taking care of, of someone or a loved one, and it, it's a good thing, but, but when you talk about it with others, you're like, that's, that's my cross to bear, just take care of this loved one. Maybe you're, you're younger here and your parents have put you on kitchen duty and you're like, I don't get this. But you know what? To your friends all over the internet, you're like, this is my cross to bear. <laughs> like washing the dishes is my cross to bear. Um, maybe it's a really dumb friend and you just have to tolerate their idiotic words sometimes. And you're like, it's my cross to bear. You know what? It's my buddy. Sometimes we use that phrase to demonstrate what we tolerate or what is uncomfortable or if we had a different you know, choice or if I could not do the kitchen, I would not do it. You know? But the word cross in Matthew 16 and earlier in Matthew 10 would have been quite new to the disciples, not new, not new as they didn't know what a cross was. They knew what a cross was, but they never really tied it to their discipleship with Jesus, They understood what the cross was in their culture, but they never made the connection of a cross or the way of a cross or the metaphor of a cross to this thing, this life that Jesus is inviting them to. He's inviting them to follow him, to take up their cross. They understood the cross as a Roman instrument of execution. They understood the cross as what the state used to punish criminals or what the state used to wipe out political rebels. But for a Jew, this was horrifying to consider what the cross was. And yet in this moment, Jesus says, take up your cross. Now, when you when you think about a cross, it's normally something done to you. If you're a criminal and you and and, and Rome uh, you know Uh, accuses you, and you're you're given a cross, you're taking a cross, and you're going to die, like, that's something done to you. If you're a political rebel, according to Rome, and they want to wipe you out, the cross is something done to you. But Jesus flips that, and he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. This is, like, voluntary. I don't know about you, but I would be thinking, like, Jesus, I get the person who's, like, walking that path, they did something. I get the person that Rome hates, you know they want to get rid of them, but why would I do that voluntarily? Why would I voluntarily take up my cross in in following you? That was a shock to them. Why would I do this voluntarily? And and I don't believe that Jesus ultimately said. Um, If you are a follower of Christ, literally go up to the place where they make the crosses, to the place where where they start uh, executing people and say, hey, I know my name's not on the list, but give me a cross anyways. I want to walk out up the hill. You can hoist me up there. I doubt that Jesus is saying, go and like give yourself in this way. But I think there's something about the image that's so important. Are you willing to give up what your identity rests on? Are you willing to give up what your identity rests on? Because the moment, the moment that I am carrying a cross to my execution is the moment that that becomes my stamped identity. All of a sudden, whatever I was, whatever I am, whoever I talked to, whatever I accomplished in life, whoever my family was, that's no longer my identity. My identity now is like, here's this person taking a cross, he's going to die. And so, this is kind of asking the question, are we willing to give up what our identity rests on? Because when somebody takes up a cross, they are forfeiting the things that their identity normally rests on, or saying, I'm not going to be co-opted or enamored with the way the world works. I'm going to walk a different way. I'm going to... I'm going to step into a different identity. So the image is, are you willing to give up where, what your identity rests on? I think the, the implication is that although this cross doesn't always or even the majority of the time mean death, but it could cost your life, and for the disciples it could cost their life, In fact, many of them went on after Jesus died and resurrected as followers of Jesus, and many of them, and then other church leaders in the first and second century did give their lives as they followed Jesus. Now, some people like to overemphasize that, and I mean, historically speaking, not every Christ follower was killed. In fact, not even the majority of Christ followers were killed. But enough Christ followers gave their life or their lives were taken from them, enough of it happened that the word witness, which is the original word martyr, became associated with death. Martyr only means witness. And in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus doesn't say go and, become, go and die, like go and die at the hands of the empire. He just says, go and become my witnesses some of those witnesses died. And enough did, even though it wasn't the majority, that the word witness and martyr became associated with someone giving their life or being persecuted. So the big idea here is, are you willing to accept the risk in what it means to follow Jesus? Are you willing to shift what your identity sits on and and is built upon and grows from? Because when you think of the word denial and the word cross, basically it's the picture of somebody losing their life, as Jesus would just say next. Whoever wants to gain their life or save their life is going to lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will gain it. Now, what's interesting to me, and, and I'm not going to like bet all my you know, theological ideas on it, but the word denial and the word take up your cross are in a tense in, in the Greek language that are like a one single act. And that's really interesting because we de- we deny- when we come to Jesus, we deny ourselves. It's not that at every moment in the way we're like re-denying, re-denying. It's not that at every moment of the way we're taking up our cross. It's, it's like this. We have made this, this, this decision. If we want to be a disciple to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, that's a one-act initiative, this decision that propels us forward. It's interesting, though, that the word follow is continual. The word follow is a continual act, not a single act. So... The word follow reflects what you've already decided in denial and the cross. I'm just going to keep going with it. I'm going to keep walking this way and reflect the denial and taking up my cross that I've already embraced. So what it is is that it's not merely like we're not just meant to believe in Jesus or a mental assent that he's Lord, but we're meant to follow him daily, constantly right? That our life gets caught up in his life, that our life is now under the rule and reign of Jesus, our King, that our life is now beginning to get caught up and reflected in God's kingdom, and God's grace, and God's love, and God's plan, and God's vision for the world. But part of that is that I have denied myself, that some of my personal interests are put aside, and I'm willing to not have my identity rest on this stuff, it's gonna be on him and then I'm walking in this way with him and my life's caught up with him. And the beauty of that is that one decision turns into a life. That single act decision of denial and taking up our cross, it doesn't end there, it just continues as we follow him into life. In other words, we can't separate our knowing and our, from our doing, our knowing from our living. And even today, I think we sang or prayed something that just reminded us me of the first series we were in in January about, you know, like hearing the words of Jesus and living the words of Jesus. So if you were to follow me on Instagram, you would probably assess correctly that I'm quasi-obsessed with musicians on Instagram. I even like send some of these links to some of our worship team members and friends. And so I love following like horn players and bass players and pianists and really good bands. Now, if if you based your perception of me on what I follow and repost on Instagram, you might say, Man, Dave plays a lot of music. But these days I don't play much music. In fact, the last time I picked up my horn was in the middle of December. That's not a musician. A musician's life is picking up their instrument every day or several times a week. So these days I don't I don't play as much. It's not my main vocation. It's not even my main hobby. I know a lot. I listen a lot, I post a lot for everyone to see that I have this appreciation for music and I listen to someone play this really cool scale and chord and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, or I listen to these two musicians play and I love the interchange and I, I love to share it, I maybe could guide or teach a little bit, I can probably critique a lot, we can all critique a lot, right? I mean, it doesn't matter, we, just, we know a little bit, we can critique a lot, right? We're all good at that. But I'm not living it. I haven't picked up my horn since December. You can't call me a legit day-to-day sax player. Now, just basing what you see on Instagram, you might say, wow, Dave must play a lot. But really, I'm not. And there's a difference between knowing and living. Now, on the side, I'd love to play more, but that's another story. (laughs) When we follow, we live. That's the word follow. That's what it's getting at. Stanley Hauerhaus said, the gospel is not information, it's a way of life. It's a way of life, it's not just information. And what can happen for us when we don't recognize that the gospel is a way of life, when we, when we kind of keep it in a corner of information, inspiration, uh, you know, I'm so grateful God has saved me, I'm forgiven, the kingdom of heaven is for me, this wonderful promise. When we, when we leave the gospel over there and we don't translate it into living, sometimes what can happen is our preferred ideologies in the world get mixed in with our belief system, and then we get in the worst trap that Christians can ever get into. One of the worst traps that Christians get into is when we put labels in front of Christianity. And that confuses the world when we put labels in front of Christianity in what Christianity is. And worse, it confuses your own convictions. When you put a label in front of the word Christian, you start not just confusing the world, you confuse yourself. And so if I say I'm a Canadian Christian or an American Christian or a liberal Christian or a conservative Christian or a progressive Christian or a socialist Christian or a successful Christian or a rich Christian or a poor Christian or a white Christian or a black Christian or whatever you want to fill in the blanks with. And if you can just put it up there, I think that's helpful when we think about it this way. If you're honest with yourself, would you put a word in front of that? Don't tell, you don't have to say it out loud. But if you're honest with yourself, would you put a word in front of that that you would like to be associated with that is part of the way you think the world should work or maybe a certain way culture should work? Now, I get it. We can celebrate certain traditions that we've grown up with, and that's not necessarily bad. But let me say this. Labels dilute our identity in Christ. These labels that we place in front of the main identity of what it means to be a Christian can dilute What it means to be a person who is in Jesus. When we associate with the label more than the Lord, that's dangerous. We will dilute our identity in Jesus. And we no longer are denying ourselves taking up our cross and following Him. We're partially denying ourselves, partially taking up our cross. because We want to keep these little pieces that I think the, how the world should work and let me make sure that people know that this is the kind of Christian I am. That's dangerous. But we have to come to a fork in this road, right? There's a fork in the road here as we follow Jesus to lose our life or do we try and save it? Do we try and cling on to whatever or do we succumb to this idea, no, no, I'm, g- I'm not going to try and save what my identity rests on. I'm not going to try and save the way the world works and the world wins. I'm not going to try and use it. I'm going to somehow lose my life, disassociate myself from these personal interests. And I was thinking of a, maybe a popular way that I know there's even youth here today and others that are into like comic books and stuff. And I was thinking about Iron Man at the end of the movie Endgame. Now, I'm going to tell you why this metaphor falls very short, but I'll also tell you why I think it works. So here's Iron Man. This is the end of the second Avengers movie where they're trying to save the world. He puts on this glove that ultimately uh, sucks the life out of him and in that moment saves the moment. Now, if you know Iron Man, you know that his real name is Tony Stark. He's a self-made billionaire. He's the typical narcissist. He's the typical know-it-all. He's the typical entitled person. And as you track his character through 20 years of these movies over the last 20 years, you realize, like, he's not the kind of guy that's really going to give up his life for something greater because his whole life has been about himself. And yet in this moment, something something really interesting happens. He disassociates himself from self-preservation. He disassociates himself from self-preservation. He is invited into something bigger than himself, and he sacrifices himself for the greater good of others. Something really powerful about that, at least on a human level. And I think there's some really, like a really great metaphor in there for us, but here's where, just so we know, it falls short, because I don't want to put Iron Man Christianity, right? Like, Marvel Christianity, Avengers Christianity. That's not what we're doing, right? Scrap the labels because it dilutes our identity. But here's, here's what happens. This is where it falls short. Because it's a noble thing. It's a positive thing. There were some positive I- outcomes, at least according to this story. And we can relate to other historical moments, real historical moments. But it falls short for our purposes because Jesus isn't calling us to be the hero in the story. Jesus is not calling us to give our lives up to save the world or to give our lives up to save something. He says, are you willing to lose your life for me, for my sake? Mark quotes him saying, for my sake and for the gospel's sake. That's very different. That's very different. Jesus isn't calling us to be the hero in the story. He says, are you willing to lose your life for me? He doesn't say, are you willing to lose your life for others or for the world? Now, let's be honest. When we do live in Christ, there's an overflow of the life that we live that is for the sake of others. Because Jesus says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. How can we say we we love God if we don't love our brother or sister? So there is an overflow of the impact to others in the world, but it's first about him. It's first about him. He says in Matthew 6, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Trust me, other things will take care of itself, but seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And I think this is how we're always going to feel like attention while we're living in and within the systems of this world. If we don't have, if we don't live with attention in, in the way the world wins and loses and works and with the way God's kingdom works, then we haven't truly, you know, given ourselves over to the ways of God. We're still thinking, I, th- I think maybe I could, I could win this way. I think maybe I could get something out of this way. But there's a tension here. And it's always going to feel like a tension while we're living in and with the systems of our world because they just work at a different level, a different way than God's kingdom does. And that's why Peter was shocked when Jesus said, I must go and suffer. I will be rejected and I will be killed at the hands of the religious leaders and the political leaders. That's why the disciples were like, no, 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 no. We can't win this way. And Jesus is like no this is the way of the cross this is the way of God's kingdom then he invites us too he says if you really want to gain this life if you really want to see something birth rebirth from 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 below the surface into your life you must deny yourself take up your cross follow me lose your life for my sake that's the only way you're going to gain it that's the only way this life grows in us amen that's the only way it grows so important. And so as we enter Lent, as we already are in the season of Lent leading up to the cross, it's really what we're doing is we're not going back and saying, you know, Jesus has to die again for us. No, no, we're, we're re-immersing ourselves. It's a reimmersion into the way of the cross because we live in the systems of our world every day. When we're on our phones or working or talking or doing groceries or banking or looking at something or ads come or whatever, like we're always in the systems of our world. So there's something really important about this that we need to understand here. That we, we need to, we need to understand that as we enter this season, it's a re into the way of the cross. It's a re into this. And it's an, invoca- an invitation to keep losing our life, To live out of this decision so we can get caught up into the life of Jesus. That's that's the invitation in this season. And then here's the thing. This is why we say consider some ways that you might want to be able to... Uh, just surrender this to the Lord or surrender that to the Lord, this thing, this practice, this escape, this false belief, to let it go and surrender it to Jesus. It's not because if you do it, God's going to just like this magical, sacrificial exchange like we talked about last week. This is why you do it. You want to reimmerse yourself into the story of the cross. And you want to make room for God to work in you. And, you. and you admit and acknowledge, man, as much as I have If you have made this decision to deny myself, take up my cross, follow Jesus, lose my life to gain, it, I'm in Christ, every day we're living in this system. And so by making a decision to say, for the next while, as I lead up to Easter, I want to let go of this, or let go of that, or I want to reprioritize this, or I want to completely disassociate myself with this, because what you're doing is, there's two things that can happen. One you're ultimately making room for God's kingdom to work in you and grow in you but in the middle of that, in that discernment there might actually be one or two things that God is saying don't just let go of that for Lent, let go of that forever give that up fully you're too caught up in that this is completely orienting your life too much just give it up there's no life in that there's no freedom in that there's no goodness in that the life that you really long in me is never going to come while you're still holding on to that. You need to let go of that because that's that's a hindrance. That's just a block. So I'm going to invite you just in this next few moments. The team is going to sing a song we sang today. I think the words are so helpful for us. As you might just come, just come openly before God right as we're sitting here, just like inviting God, Lord, is there something, is there something that Maybe it's not a bad thing or a horrible thing. Maybe it's not even a sinful thing. But you know that it's taken up too much space in your life. And you say, for a season, I want to I push it aside to make room for the life of Jesus to grow in me. Or maybe, like I said, God's going to maybe just point the finger on something and say, you should really let go of this. Let's just take a moment as the team sings these words. There's a prayer team here on the left. They're going to be ready to pray with you if you'd like to pray as we start just invite you in this moment if that's your heart's desire if you're feeling god really just bring a sense of conviction or invitation to you in your own heart maybe a simple way just to respond to that is just like me just to put your hands out open like this don't do it if you're not sensing that don't do it if If it's not something you truly want to do, this invitation is a strong ask from Jesus. But if God's finger is tapping you, if his voice or spirit is convicting you, and you truly want to respond in this moment, maybe it's for the first time, that you're responding to this invitation and that's okay that's amazing maybe in your following of Jesus you look back and you're just you just want to express to God Lord no I truly truly in my daily life following you want to make room to live out the denial of myself and the taking up of my cross so if that's you maybe just to put your hands out like I am or If you feel it's easier to do that in stand, you can do that as well. But just this moment that we posture ourselves. we just come to you open-handed today. Oh God, we recognize the tension of living in our world, the tension of the ways the world wins and loses, the way the world moves forward, the way the world wants to accomplish its goals and visions. God, while you've called us to live in the world and love the world and we recognize you've made this world and there's wonderful parts of our world that we celebrate and enjoy and embrace, we also recognize, God, the tension that we will often feel when we embrace the way you establish life, the way your kingdom rose the way your kingdom influences the way your kingdom wins God, we recognize that. And so whether for the first time or we look back to the moment we have made that decision already, God, we deny ourselves, take up our cross and then continually follow Jesus. And while it's so tempting to save our lives we risk losing it. So, God, we lose our lives in Christ, for Christ, for the gospel. And thank you for the incredible promise that in the cross and through the cross, Jesus resurrected from the grave. It says all who are in him will find life, life to the fullest. God, even this week, as we step into our day and week, and priorities and task lists and all kinds of things, God, would you just right-size our vision, right-size our perspective for maybe areas in our life we need to put aside temporarily or fully. We thank you that you will be with us in the middle of that, and that you promise life on the other side of that, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says...
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome regardless where you are on your spiritual journey and hope you can grow with us. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. We would love to hear from you, ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com giving. Until next time, peace.